Well, good morning. It's just a shame we're not in um, a beautiful venue for for today, right? Oh, yeah, gosh, I love to stay a little bit longer when I go places, and boy, today is certainly no uh, exception to that. But uh, my name is Wes Fryer. I live in Oklahoma City. This is my first time to ever come to this part of New York. I've been to New York City once, and so, wow, what a beautiful place you all live in. I have provided several ways for you to get the slides, videos, and links for today. And we're going to be very interactive in terms of I'm going to have several polls that I have prepared, as well as some open text questions and some other ways for us to be interacting and thinking and and hopefully being challenged today. So if you have gotten on the wireless, how many, raise your hand if you're on the wireless. Yay. Maybe the fastest way is just to do wfriar.me slash roadmap. Um, you could also, if you wanted to go Google my Twitter ID, I tweeted this, the link to this uh, most recently. How many of you have a mobile device with a QR code reader? All right. Uh, I did not really understand why QR codes were a big deal until I went to the mobile learning conference in Arizona a couple years ago that Tony Vincent helps put on with the Arizona K-12 Center. And every single presenter at this conference had a QR code like that. And I learned the, the app that I now use the most is called iNigma. It's I with a hyphen, Nigma. And what I learned is all the QR code readers aren't created equal. And if you want to stand at the back of the room and scan something or be on the side, iNigma is really great. And it works on iPhone, Android, um, if you still have a BlackBerry, <laughs> um, multiple devices. The other thing that I've provided is um, a way to get this with text messaging. And how many of you in your schools now use some kind of a, of a text messaging alert so that you're able to send alerts out to parents or really? Okay. So that's definitely not, not, not even probably a quarter of the audience. <clears throat> I've used different tools as I've taught undergraduate students and work with parent groups and, and student groups and things. Um, and the one that I'm using now the most, uh, even at our church with our, with our elders to help people get alerted to when we have a new post on this uh, uh, book discussion website we're using, is called Selly. And so if you send a text message to this number, 23559, and the message that you send is Wes Info, or you actually you may do join Wes Info, but if you just do Wes Info, I think it gives you a prompt that says if you want to join, you can join this broadcast list. And it will reply to you with a link to today's resources. So I start out with that because I'm going to want you to have access to these resources and to be able to be interactive today. Second of all, because there's a lot of debate over where, whether it's good to give people your slides or not. How many of you have been to a presentation where the presenter refused to, to give the slides out? Or how about said, I'm going to give them to you at the end? All right. What does that say? It says your job right now as I'm talking is to copiously write down as much of my presentation as you can and capture it because that's what I I think you should do. Right. And while that can be an important part of learning, I think it also is good to give people choices. So if you want to do that, great. If you want to have the slides and, you know, jot other things down, and hopefully there'll be some resources that you want to go back to later. So how many of you remember the special 
Saturday morning cartoon time growing up? Anybody? Okay. Well, you've already been hopefully visiting and introducing yourself to your neighbor. I want you to turn to your neighbor really quick. You've got 30 seconds, and I want you to say or talk about what cartoons you remember being special on Saturday morning. Okay? You have 30 seconds. Go. Um, this is just a little aside, but I love this website, online-stopwatch.com. I don't have to install special smart board, Promethean board software. I just go to the website. Um, when you visit the site, there's a link that says... Use it in full screen, and then you just say countdown or stopwatch, and then you put in how much time and say go. Um, I see several iPads here, and on the iPad, my favorite app is called Timer Plus that's free. It's all together. It's not a space, but Timer Plus is an app, and it has fun things like bugles that go off and elephants that trumpet and stuff like that, which is kind of fun. So uh, a couple answers. Uh, what was somebody's favorite cartoon or one they remember? The Jetsons. Yes. And, and what I remember about the Jetsons is Mr. Spacely, you know, always coming in via video. Jetson! How many of you have had a FaceTime talk with a family member? Okay, last night upstairs on the balcony, I get a text from my daughter. Actually, uh, my youngest is in fourth grade. And she uses KIK, K-I-K, which is a free text messaging. So she can just, you know, text parents. And so far, she's just 10. Um, and I said, and she was said something before bed. I said, can you FaceTime? So before bed, you know, it's like that, the Jetsons. What else besides the Jetsons? Looney Tunes. Looney Tunes. Roadrunner. Underdog. Underdog. Yes. What else? Felix. Say that again. Felix. Felix the cat. I won't sing the whole thing. I love Felix. What else? Anybody remember uh, the Super Friends? Did anyone watch the Super Friends? You know? Uh, why did they always form the shape of an ice something? You know? I don't know. But are Saturday mornings special for cartoons anymore? No. Why? Because they're accessible 24-7 if you have access. If you have cable, right? Or if you go to the kids' pizza place or whatever. I took this picture on a Saturday morning a couple years ago in 2010 in our living room in Oklahoma. And this was on, this one was honestly not a staged picture, okay? Um, and, you know, what were my kids doing? They were, at that time, playing Club Penguin. My son hadn't discovered Minecraft. I don't think Minecraft was out yet. Um... Webkins, they were into, right? Virtual worlds, interactive experiences that weren't just passive, let's watch it, but things that they were participating in. So I took this picture again this summer. And what you might notice, first of all, is the legs, but tell me what else you noticed changed. What changed? We're not one-to-one anymore. What are we? We're many to one, two to one. And so in schools, we're still struggling to get here where every student has a device. And in some cases, because of a smartphone or cell phones, that's one reason I was using that text messaging option today, because that's a very effective way when you do want to share some information is to use text messaging. We as a society have moved to many to one. And how many of you have had a screen out when you're watching television, watching a prime time? Do you a Breaking Bad fan? I'm sure there's got to be some in here. Okay, sports, 
sports fans. You know, we're seeing more Twitter hashtags. In fact, this was funny. I don't normally read a paper, paper, but it was delivered to my hotel room today. So the hashtag Twitter, show me the money, is on the front of USA Today. There are more hashtags that are out. And so mainstream media is encouraging people to participate in a conversation using the second screen. Some people call that the fourth screen. I love this quotation by Arthur C. Clarke, who talks about technology as magic, advanced technology. Because no matter how many words you have to describe the devices in our pockets, in our purses, or in our laps, or on the table, or in the computer lab, or wherever they are, it really is amazing and magical that we invisibly are able to connect to people around the world and not only pull in the information, but broadcasting information. Does anyone have a family member who's into ham radio? Is he? Are you are? Are you? Are you the one? Are you a ham? Does anybody have a license? Is anybody a ham? I don't. But my grandfather was really into ham radio. And I totally believe that there was magic there in this, this ability to talk to people around the world. So how many of you have seen this uh, newsroom flash from The Onion about Blockbuster? Okay. This is the museum of our time. Okay, so uh, there's a good side and a dark side to this. On the good side, um, I'll admit that my wife and I, when we started dating in the mid-90s, loved the X-Files. Okay, and I remember Friday nights was when the X-Files came out, and it was a really big deal. Well, about a year ago, my son discovered the X-Files on Netflix. Every episode ever created available ad free and he you know got through episode 30 something i guess i mean did you ever think that would be happening you'd have access to to that kind of media um but there's a dark side to this too right and we're going to talk about the disruptive challenging side of media uh again we could turn to usa today where the panic on capitol hill uh with the woman trying to drive her car into barricades is superseded by Miley's showbiz plan uh, and a lot of detail about the MTV Music Awards. Was anybody here able to escape that? You know, were your children able to escape that? There's things we almost can't escape. I remember when the Columbine school shooting happened and I was teaching at Rush Elementary School in Lubbock, Texas. And the first graders were scared at school. They didn't know exactly what it had, you know, they didn't have a clear picture, but they knew kids got shot at a school and they were going to school and they were scared. And I really wished at that time there was a way we could, you know, protect them from not being aware of that. I have not watched the MTV Music Award video. I've heard a lot about it. And, you know, it's there's there's good sides and there's dark sides. And it's not just the broadcast. It's also the choices we make. Who's had a conversation about a selfie You know what a selfie is? It's when you turn the camera on yourself with a family member or with a student. Has anybody had a conversation about appropriateness with selfies? What do we post? I can see some nods and some people are like, what are you talking about, Wes? Okay, my daughter's 13, 14, 13. She's 13. She's going on 17. Um, She set up her Facebook account this summer when she turned 13. You know, she has some friends on Instagram where we see her pictures and say, does her mom know she's posting this? You know, who do we, who's talking to her? So 
I'm going to give you five book recommendations at the end, but a book that I listened to on Audible a few years ago that I absolutely love is Kevin Kelly's book, What Technology Wants. And one of the things that Kelly says in this book about technology is that technology, tremendous technology can be both abused and used in amazingly constructive ways, right? The FaceTime technology we were talking about, like the Jetsons, you know, being able to directly video conference to someone. My wife teaches third, fourth, and fifth grade in Oklahoma City. And when I was in Chicago in August, I FaceTime, like, actually it was Skype, Face, uh, Skype with video to her classroom from the river where the water taxis were going behind and the kids were asking questions. And then at the Nike store where they had 38, you know, all 38 versions of the Air Jordan, every one that was ever made. And we toured and went up all three floors and I held the phone as we went up the escalator and there was a employee who played football for Bowling Green and who told about, you know, what he did for Nike and encouraged them to stay in school. How amazing to be able to do that. But yet, what kinds of choices are sometimes made in locker rooms with these cameras, in bedrooms and bathrooms? Um, I bet every single school represented in this room has been touched by sexting. By a student who took a picture, sent it to the boyfriend or girlfriend with the, with the promise, I'll never share this. I'll just keep this to myself. You know, there's a guy in my men's group who his granddaughter had to leave their school in Edmond, Oklahoma, just north of, of Oklahoma City, because her photo was on, a, was on hundreds of students' cameras the next day after she sent it to her boyfriend. And so... Sometimes we look at this and we say, oh my gosh, that's horrible. Why would I ever want my, my students, our students, my children to have access to that? But at the same time, there's two sides to the coin. These tools can be used for very constructive and powerful ways. So today we're going to talk about a roadmap to blended learning. And, and what our destination is. Where are we headed and one of the things I want to challenge you to think about, and I challenge myself too, is to think about going places we haven't been before. I kind of like traveling and visiting places, especially with my family. That's the best, right? Going new places. Does everybody like to travel? We got some nods. Let me ask you this question. Does everybody like change? No. No. Not so much, right? How many of us have upgraded an iPhone to iOS 7 in the last, you know? <laughs> Easy, hard change? Kind of hard. You get used to things looking a certain way. You get used to things being a certain way. And this is not just mobile phones. Think about Microsoft Word. Remember when they switched to the ribbon? Right? I had a professor at Texas Tech that complained that she used to be so effective, you know, with the older version, but with the new version, she just hadn't spent the time to learn how to do, and I've experienced that as well. So travel can be very exciting. Change, like moving to a new place, maybe not so fun. Maybe fun for the person who has the new job and the new opportunity, maybe not so fun for the kids and spouse who have everything to recreate, doctors, People who cut our hair, the folks who fix our car. I mean, there's so many things that are hard when you move. But I want to challenge us to think about that. I would offer up a definition of blended learning that it is a combination of both face-to-face, 
um, online and hybrid learning strategies which seek to maximize engagement and interactivity. And I did not use the word flipped classroom here, but how many of you uh, know someone who is trying to flip their classroom? All right. Let me give you um, about a minute and a half. What I want you to do is that idea of a flipped classroom, talk about what it is, and then what are the upsides and downsides to that? Okay, because flipped class. So let me give you a a minute minute thirty to talk about that. What is flipped? What is a flipped classroom? And what's what are positives and negatives to that? Okay, talk with your neighbor. Go. What did your neighbor say? You can volunteer them at this point. (laughs) What is flipped learning? Seriously, point to someone who had a good answer, or just volunteer. Yes, ma'am. We did not. Okay. Who had a Who had an idea? Mike. Yes, ma'am. Okay. So swapping the homework with the direct instruction through recording video. That that is one way that folks look at, at flipped classroom. Um, have we tried to flip the classroom before? Yeah. How? Television. Television? Books? Right? How many of us have been in classes where folks haven't done the reading? (laughs) Maybe. By the way, how many of you are classroom teachers? All right. How many are administrators? How many are librarians? How many are something else? If you're something else, what are you? What do you do? Teacher center director. Okay. IT. IT. Yes, technology director. Why didn't I ask that? Trainers. Okay. How many uh, technology, either you're the uh, full-time technology director or that's the responsibility you have is supervising technology for your campus. How many folks in that role do we have? Okay. So ups and downs of of, uh, flipped learning would be what? Let's start with challenges. What are some challenges? Getting the kids to do Getting them to do the work, right? Just like getting you to do the reading, getting you to watch the video. What happens if I've got seven classes and all my teachers are flipping? And I got an hour of stuff to watch. Uh, Does it probably work so well, right? So we got to think about the load and how much people are doing and how many, you know. What else is a challenge besides getting kids to do that watching or reading or whatever outside of class? Okay. Okay. Having parent support and then tied in with that would be access, right? How do you get this video? Now, Aaron Sams and the teachers in Woodland Park, Colorado, that started the whole flipping movement a few years ago, used DVDs. And they burned DVDs because they realized this. Our kids have DVD players. They don't all have laptops. They don't even all have high-speed internet. But they can play a DVD. So that was the common denominator to get video in the hands of kids so they could watch it. How much does a, video, a DVD cost now to duplicate legally that you, you know, like you make? Actually, the cost is the same no matter what you put on it, right? But, but it's like pennies. Yeah, it's, it's cheap. It is not expensive. So... Uh, what else? What else would be? Time, preparation. 
Are we going to be compensated as teachers to record all these videos and prepare them? Or is it something we're just going to do on our own? Or can I get video from Sal Khan and Khan Academy? Or, but I've got to put it together. I've got to find them. I've got to put the curriculum together. And that takes time. It can take a lot of time. What else? You like student understanding. You want the ability to ask questions while the instructions go in. Okay. So the, the student understanding part. Uh, the, she said the students wouldn't be able to ask questions during the instruction, which is true. On the flip side of that, though, we would hope that they'd have more chances to interact if we're doing problem sets or we're making doing labs or things that are interactive. I don't have this slide on here, but uh, and it's a dangerous thing probably to Google. But there, there was a, a, a dean of the College of Art in, at SMU a few years ago that published an article in the Chronicle of Higher Education called Teach Naked. And it had nothing to do with clothes. It had to do with projectors. He took the projectors out of every single one of their classrooms at SMU because he said, our students are coming for a top quality face-to-face -face learning experience. And many of you are PowerPointing our kids to death. They did not pay for this. If you want to deliver for an hour, great. Make a video. Or sometimes they call that a podcast, although that's kind of a scary word. So make a video. But when students are in class, let's be interactive. Let's allow them to ask questions. Let's have discussions. Let's do group work. Let's do things that we can do face-to-face -face that we can't do or maybe can't do the same in an online context. Now, some people would argue with me on that and say, oh, yes, Wes, we can do all those things virtually. But it is different. And I think that was a, that's a, that was a challenging uh, article that he wrote. I think he has a book. His name's Jose Bowen. B-O-W-E-N. You can still find that article and, and that information online. So if there's a thesis to my presentation today, this is it. Whether you are the superintendent, the principal, the technology director, someone who coordinates teacher, professional development, you're a classroom teacher, you're a librarian. Whatever your role. And we have multiple hats, right? We have parent hats that we wear too. Grandparent hats. Our communities need our vision and our leadership to make blended learning a norm, to make it normal. Where it's like, wow, did you hear what they're doing in Los Angeles? They're giving every student a device. And we're going to talk about that today because that's been in the news, right? But that's not the norm. Is anyone here at a school where you have at least one class, one-to-one, -one, where they get to take devices home? Is anybody in that boat? What grade or uh, what grade levels? Okay, and what's their device that they take home? They have iPads in fifth and sixth grade that they take home. How about you all? Uh, we have iPads, uh, grades 5 12. Okay, so grades 5 through 12, iPads, and they're able to take them home. Yes, ma'am? Okay, and anybody else? Okay, and our iPads are what? Wow, is anybody using anything besides iPads for one-to-one? -one? What are you all using? Six or twelve. So, I mean, there are folks here who are living in that world, that one-to-one -one world. Again, I don't have this slide, and I should have put it in here, but everyone is going one-to-one. -one. Hear me say that again. Everyone is going one-to-one. -one. What does that mean? At some point, maybe it's in 10 years, maybe it's in 20 years, or maybe it's this year... All the students and all the teachers at your school are going to have a mobile digital device to be able to at least access content. And hopefully, 
you're going to purchase a device or lease a device or ask parents to provide the device or however it works, which will also let students interact and create and share things. And so today we're talking about vision. And these are the four areas that, that we'll talk about today. We are going to take a break. We'll take, uh, remind me here about, in about 30 minutes at about 10.30, we'll, we'll, take, a, we'll take a little breather here. Um, I'd like to first start with some case studies, with some new articles. And uh, you're going to want to have your device ready. If you don't have a device that can get online, your cell phone is going to work today. Because we're going to use uh, a platform called Poll Everywhere. And you can use text messaging or you can just be online. So we're going to do several of those. Then we're going to talk about three shifts that I think we need to make in this road to blended learning with respect to how we look at research, how we look at devices, and how we look at assessment. We're going to talk about changing norms and how we do that with respect to digital sharing, interactivity, and digital footprints. And last, I'm going to wrap up with five books that I'll recommend you read because... I hope I can impact your thinking today, this morning, as we're together. But I know that when I read a book, somebody's recommended or that I've heard about, generally that has a bigger long-term impact on me than just a presentation. So that's why I'm going to include those. So let's start out with some case studies. Uh, Turn to your neighbor, define the word paradigm, and say, why the heck are we talking about paradigms? You have 30 seconds. Go. Okay. Now notice my question as the teacher today is not just... What is a paradigm, but why would we have a paradigm? Because I don't want to just hear you read the definition from Wikipedia or Wiktionary or Oxford English or whatever, but I want you to apply it. See, I'm going to try to ask questions that you can't Google the answer to, right? Because I want you to think. I don't want you to simply regurgitate. That is part of the common core is elevating expectations for students where it's not just about recall, but it's about application and higher order thinking. So now that I've set you up with that, you know, again, you could volunteer your neighbor. Would you like to volunteer your neighbor who could define paradigm and say, why would we talk about paradigms? Be brave. Be courageous. You can do it. Maybe because we're shifting our thinking. Okay. All right. Ways of thinking. Paradigms are ways of thinking. And we're talking about shifting our way of thinking. I like that. Another thought? Why paradigms? I think that's partly too. They're also culturally bound and culture shifts. So paradigms are culturally bound. They are ways of thinking, ways of looking at the world that are unique to cultures. So if we're at my wife's school, which is a small private school that only has three teachers uh, and serves a very special population, that's very different than... The magnet school where my kids go, that's the 6th through 12th school. But that's in Oklahoma. Coming here to New York, it's it's going to be different, right? I think you have to think about the stakeholders in making the paradigm and what kind of focus is out of it. Yes. And you decide how to go. There are a lot of stakeholders involved in the paradigm of school and the paradigm of education. And paradigms don't, don't change quickly. One of the articles that I read... As a freshman in college, with the required management class we had to take, was Thomas Kuhn's Structure of Scientific Revolutions. Has anybody heard of that before? That's actually a huge... What would you... I'll put you on the spot. Why, why is that a, a good article and a good thing to know about? What was Kuhn about? Because it talks about how, how scientific knowledge shifts over time. And it talks about how, depending on 
on your age to how well you adapt to new discoveries. Yeah. And let's think about big stuff like the Ptolemaic revolution, right? That the earth might not be the center of the universe, (laughs) that the sun might be the center of our solar system. And the solar system is part of a larger world. And these things change over time. And Kuhn was talking about the structure of those and, and how that takes place. So I'm not just using that word because I want to be fancy and I heard about it in college. It really does apply to us today as we think about blended learning. So I want to do some question, ask some questions today that will give us some insight into where we're coming from, where this room is coming from with respect to blended learning and digital technology. And so we're going to use a tool called Poll Everywhere. You can use this free, I think, for polls up to 25 I have an account that allows me to have up to 250 people respond. So everybody's going to get to to respond and chime in. And you're going to be able to respond in a couple ways. If you go to the website, pollev.com slash wfryer, and I'll have that on each slide. You just go to that in your web browser, whether you're on an Android phone, you're on an iPad, you're on a laptop, wherever you are, I'm going to push the polls and it will show up there. Okay. Here's going to be our first topic. This is NPR, September 27th, 2013. Today's October 4th, for the benefit of my recording I'm making. Students find ways to hack school-issued iPads within a week. Okay? Talking about Los Angeles schools. If we go to the actual LA Times article from September 25th, <laughs> we learn that the word hack might be a bit of a stretch. Because what do the kids do? They went to system preferences, they clicked on the networking profile, and they said delete. In fact, in another article, you'll read that some kids were charging $2 to do this for their friends. <laughs> Ooh, I think we got some creative entrepreneurship happening in Los Angeles. What do you think? Okay. What was their crime? Their crime was they had deleted the profile so they could send tweets, they could go to Facebook, and they could stream music through Pandora. Here's the question. Should Los Angeles schools seek more effective ways to block student home access to Facebook and Twitter? Note that I'm not saying block school access in this question. I'm saying to block home access. So I am, hopefully... um, I think so. Pushing this, pushing this survey to polleb.com slash wfryer. If you want to respond with your text, with your cell phone, all right, um, you can put in a, start a new text message. You're going to send it to 37607. And that's going to be the same number we'll use each time. So depending on what your answer is, You know, you you choose a different code. If you think, yes, uh, Los Angeles should seek more effective ways to block the home access, you're going to text 885063 to that number, to 37607. How many of you have some kind of a response system that you could check out or have in your classroom? Do some of you have that? What kinds of response systems do you all have? You use Poll Everywhere? Anybody have something else that you've, that you've used? Use, um, the Cindio Smart, Smart Response, which is like part of the Smart Board. It's connected and stuff. Anybody have something else? Yes. Really? So it has a response feature in the calculator that will let the student... 
And then can you and you can see that response as they're as they're there. Who hasn't responded? So on your screen, it's kind of like this, where you'll be able to see what number, what calculator number hasn't responded, or and you can get that pulse to say, wait a minute, half my kids just, you know, got this wrong. I better. Okay. So we've got 39 responses. Um, seven of us think that the LA schools should should continue to block um, home access to Facebook and Twitter. 24 of us say no, and eight say I'm not sure. Now, I'm going to challenge you on this, I'm not sure. I have that as an option for you on each poll, okay? But let's put you in the role of the superintendent. Do we have any school superintendents here today? No, we don't. Any board members here? I was in uh, near Stewart, Florida Monday, and for the first time ever, one of their board members came to the workshop. She stayed like almost all day. I said, oh my gosh, this is great. That's the hat I want you to wear right now. Okay, when you answer the next question, you're the superintendent. Okay, and you, well, if you really want to, you could say, I'm not sure. It's still going to be there. But I'm going to encourage you to commit one way or the other. All right? Let's take a look at another recent headline. This is Popular Science from September 24th, 2013. Quote, comments can be bad for science. That's why here at popularscience.com, we're shutting them off. Now, they go on in the article to talk about some pretty interesting research, which is that on issues like climate change, as an example, there's been there have been some studies that show very vocal uh, comments in you know the, the thread that follows an article can really confuse people and even encourage them to reject what there would be consensus for in the scientific community. Remember, I'm from Oklahoma. <laughs> so this is what popular science is doing. So I want you to take a shift to your school. And what I'm going to do here is I'm going to change. Yeah, okay. I guess it did it automatically. It's pushing it out. Wow. No. The wrong thing, Wes. Go to the next one. Okay. So here we go. We'll look at our... I'll go to the next one. Next poll, and the question is going to be for your official websites for your district. Should your school district permit moderated commenting on official websites? A couple things to notice. Number one, this doesn't say free for all, say whatever you want, we have no control. It says moderated. That means that somebody would approve the comments that would go up there. Number two, by official website, I mean any website by a staff member. So if you're a teacher and you have a website for your class to be able to post work or to be able to share to uh, share student uh, products that they've made or anything, do you think your school should let that be public and let others comment on it? There are There's some risk here. Okay, we don't have as many. I'm, I'm not sure. And look, I mean, you can answer I'm not sure. If you really, you're like, Wes, I don't even know what you're talking about. You're talking way too fast. I'm going to protest by saying I'm not sure. Okay, let your voice be heard. So 38 responses, 39 responses, and um, we've got 31 yeses and 8 noes at this point. Now, of course, the, the, the question is, what is your superintendent or your school board? What do they say? Because this may be what 
what teachers saying, but you know, what do they say about that question? Next case study. This is from Concho, Oklahoma. Does anybody know where Concho is? <laughs> there's a there's a uh, there's a casino there now. In fact, we got like a hundred casinos in Oklahoma. Do y'all have a lot of more casinos now in New York? Like, how many do you think you'll have? Tons. Yeah, we have tons too. It's like a hundred. So this is an Oklahoma article, but I bet something similar has been in a newspaper in New York. Okay, headline: Concho teachers aide fired over Facebook post. And I will not uh, translate the first acronym that they have in their Facebook message post there. But it says, these kids today, I just wanted to pop some of them or have some kid make them cry for me. Okay? They worked my last nerve today. Want to go home. Well, she got to go home. (laughs) This is from September 27th. So, here's the question. And let me, I'll go ahead and switch over to the poll so that as I read the read the options, you can go ahead and vote. As I switch to the next poll, it, it should be pushing it to the web page. Should Facebook and Twitter be open or closed for teachers and students at school? We are not talking home. First question about LA was home. We're talking school. If you think it should be closed for everyone, that's your first answer. If you think it should be open for teachers but closed for students at school, the second answer. If it's open for both, that's your third answer, and if you're not sure. This is a challenging issue. Schools are all over the board with this. I'm going to be telling you a little bit about the work I did the last year and a half in Yukon Public Schools, which if you know Garth Brooks, Yukon claims Garth, even though he lives in Tulsa now. That's where he grew up, just west of Oklahoma City. And Yukon was um, really, well, yeah, I guess they were, they were on number two. As teachers, we could bypass the filter, but by default, it was closed. But you could go to Facebook and Twitter as a teacher if you bypass the filter. Students could not. So that's where we were. We have some schools in Oklahoma that are one-to-one with every middle school and high school student with a laptop. And we have over 500 districts and less than 20 still. We had a, a grant project in 2009 that had, I think, 20, 19 schools or something like that, that that all got laptops. And they all didn't continue. I don't actually know what the number is. But I know we have some where they're here in terms of letting... Letting it be open. Okay. Next case study. Let's talk about YouTube. Let's actually just do a hand poll first. How many of you as teachers in your district have access to show YouTube videos to students? Okay, so that's a, that's a majority. That's a, over half. Um, how many of your students have at least limited access? Like through the YouTube education program, they can see the educationally filtered videos. That's a much smaller number, okay, about seven or ten folks. Um, how many of us have YouTube entirely blocked? So nobody is going to YouTube. Really? Okay. Awesome. Okay, go for it. I'm sure they will love that. they have a feature called awesome. 
Yeah. And so, and you know, full disclosure, Lightspeed is footing the bill for us to be here today. They paid for me to be here, and they're the reason we're, we're able to, to be here today. Lightspeed is the filter that, that UConn used, and it is so powerful when you have your filter integrated in with the learning management system, which I'll talk a little bit about, because I, as a teacher, can find a video, simply put it on my page and add it to my library, and my students have access to it. So I have the ability as a teacher to be able to do that. Here are some recent statistics for YouTube. It's kind of hard to keep up with this. It changes so fast, but this is, this is my one slide with lots of text. Um, more than a billion users are visiting YouTube each month. Over six billion hours of video are watched each month on YouTube. And if we try to figure out what that is, that's about an hour for every person on Earth and 50% more than last year. During our break, I'll put up a web page that's about what happens in 60 seconds. And it's a year old, but it is a long animation trying to get our heads around how much video is uploaded every 60 seconds. This says 100 hours of video are uploaded to YouTube every minute. About a year ago, it was 60. So that's why it was, you know, I don't know, 60, 60, 60, per, 60 hours per second. YouTube is in 56 countries. It's across uh, 61 different languages. I, I think I took out the statistic that 70% of the traffic on YouTube is from outside the United States. Nielsen now says YouTube reaches more U.S. adults ages 18 to 34 than any cable network. A couple years ago when President Obama did a speech to students, our school chose, well, they actually said it's up to the teachers to let if they want to let kids do it, and basically nobody let their kids see the president. So I have my second grader stayed home. I asked her, do you want to watch it? And so she posted a response video to that, which got a lot of a very negative attention um, mainly because people were mad at the president, not mad at my daughter. But my wife at that time, because this thing got like 190,000 views or something. It was crazy. Somebody put it on Reddit, which I don't know if you know what Reddit is, but it's one of these websites people you know, vote up and down on articles, and th things often go viral from Reddit. My wife said, Wes, do people just sit around and watch YouTube all day? I said, yes, they do, honey. They do. That's what a lot of folks will do on their free time when they can. This is a big shift. Millions of subscriptions to YouTube happen each day. The number of people subscribing to channels, because when you find a channel you like, you click subscribe and it saves it. You can go back easily to see what they've published you know, lately, has more than doubled. What do we call change that doubles? Mathematicians, when it doubles, it is called what? It's not linear. It's exponential, right? That's exponential change. Um, two weeks ago, Apple announced the iPhone 5S. No, this is not a 5S. This is a 5. The speed of the 5S is what in relation to my 5? Twice as fast. That's exponential change. Why is the George Jetson vision reality today? Because of exponential change, exponential growth. Mobile viewing, viewing on a phone today, makes up more than a quarter of Google's global watch time. More than a billion videos a day are watched on a mobile device. YouTube is available today on hundreds of millions of devices. Are you ready for your question? Here's the question. Who should have access to YouTube at school? And I'm going to put in this um, 
within SEPA guidelines. And actually, that doesn't necessarily clear, clarify things. SEPA is the Children's Internet Protection Act. It says your school has to have a policy to block porn and offensive stuff. And it's up to you to locally decide that. So we have schools all over the place as far as what they block and what they allow. So if you think no one should have access to YouTube, only teachers, teachers and students with strict limits... I mean, we've got school districts in Oklahoma where not only is there no YouTube, there's no Gmail, there's no Yahoo Mail, there's no photos, there's nothing interactive, where interactive sites are literally seen as, you know, the work of the devil. We're not allowing any of that. I'm not kidding, okay? Maybe you have some schools in New York like that. I don't know. If you think there should be some limits... Uh, that would, that would go beyond, I guess, well, I didn't say this, but yeah. I mean, it's going to, you have SEPA limits you have to have. And then if you're not sure. So, 40 responses. Let's go to our next question. Oh, no, that's it. That, well, no, we're going to, that was, our, that was the end of our questions. Um, do you filter teachers and students the same at your school? We're going to do a hand raise on this. If you filter teachers differently than students, raise your hand. Woohoo! Yes, that is great. Um, if you didn't raise your hand, this is something for you to talk with your principal about, to talk to your superintendent about, to talk to your board about. A fancy way is called it differentiated content filtering. It means if I'm the teacher, you're going to trust me a little bit more, I hope, than you trust the children, than you trust the students. And there are filters now, Lightspeed being a great example. There are others too, but not all of them, that have that as a feature. Every single filter in every single school needs to be able to let teachers get to more stuff. Why? Because sometimes when you're putting together a lesson, you come to a site that hasn't been unblocked. And if we care about blended learning, which means taking stuff that's online and having it face-to-face -face and extending it, we have got to empower teachers to be able to do this. You may override the content filter. Have you ever kissed the screen of your computer? Oh, I love you. Um, I mean, this is, this is that kind of thing for me because coming to UConn and working where... I was, I was on a contract for a year and a half as an instructional coach. I worked directly with teachers, helping them create lessons, and also teaching with them. If that's what they wanted, I'd be there, you know, and we'd teach together. Having that button we could click to override the filter was gigantic because most of the schools I work in do not have that. And we are locked out, and in some cases it takes weeks and weeks to have the site approved. What does that do to your creative digital culture when it takes weeks to get it approved? It's down the pits, right? Or, as teachers, we get creative. And we bring something like this to school. Do you know what this is in my hand? It's my Verizon hotspot. <laughs> I was in Velma, Oklahoma, which is just about 20 minutes from Duncan, which unfortunately you may have heard of Duncan recently because that's where the kids got shot. Um, I think about a month ago, in, a, in what I think turned out to be a gang-related shooting, but the whole headline was, we're just bored, so we shot this kid, who was from Australia, he's on the track team, it was very bad. Okay, so I was in Velma to do a full morning workshop with teachers, and guess what? The internet was down. <laughs> 
and I had left my Verizon hotspot at home. But do you know who saved me? One of the teachers who went to her purse and said, I have this. Will this help? Yes, it will, honey. I didn't hug her or kiss her, but, you know, <laughs> was that excited about it. And so... Anyway, that's not what you want in your school. You don't want teachers to have to pay. That's an expensive thing. That cost me $50 a month to have that hotspot. Now, it's amazing because we go on trips. We have these rules now. No, you can't watch Netflix on the, you know, Verizon because it'll take all our bandwidth. But, you know, especially if we're in an urban area, we can get online. That's not what you want your teachers to have to do. You want your teachers to be empowered. All right. Ha, yes, I do have another question. So the question is, who should authorize web filter bypass? If you think that should be a central office administrator, you know, because, I mean, Oklahoma City, we've got, I think about, we have over 70 campuses. There are about almost 50,000 students. In UConn, we had nine campuses, a little over 500 teachers. The high school is 2,600. But if you think that that should be a central office administrator, if you think individual teachers should be allowed, I mean, think about the risk you're taking, people, right? Seriously. Are you guys just rebels or what? Or if you're not sure. I encourage you to think about taking these questions back to your school. Take them back to your school board. Does your school board have a retreat? You know, you may not be asked to, to help contribute to the retreat, but somebody will share this. Say, hey, we were just in this in this workshop where some, some very challenging questions were posed. I think this would help get some good conversations going in our district. Could we find an opportunity to talk about this? Talk about it with your team. Talk about it with your principal. Talk about it with your school board. How many of us have actually talked at the open time for school board? How many of you have talked at the school board time? Okay. Yay. At our board meetings in Oklahoma City, most of the meetings I've attended, there, have, there haven't been speakers. Or if there have, there's only been one or two. And I'm not going to go on a huge tangent about this, but we are having the shutdown of the government right now, right? I've been inspired to go to many board meetings in the last six months because I've seen representative government in action. Is it political? Of course. Is it messy? Of course. Is there backdoor stuff going on? Yeah. But guess what? Basically, everyone who's elected shows up for the meetings and people like talk and, and folks are there listening. When I brought my son to Washington a couple years ago, was this classic thing of walking into the House of Representatives and there was one guy talking and like two people were there. And my son said, what is this, Dad? I said, this is your government, son. <laughs> this is the three branches of government working in perfect harmony to achieve compromise and justice for all. Okay, so lots of people complain about schools and we'll talk a little bit about that. But I am very heartened that at the local level, we still have representative government in action. And my encouragement to you is exercise your rights, exercise your freedom. Praise the Lord 
we live in the country that we do and we have the freedoms we do, we, we often take those for granted. I'm not saying you've got to go start a revolution in your school and that you've got to stir the pot so much that people are like, oh my gosh, here she comes. Here he comes again. No, I'm just saying make your voice heard, especially with good questions, because I do think these kinds of questions could highlight, for instance, a pretty strong opinion. If this is our community right here, and I'm a school board member, and I see this, and our policy right now is here, then that makes me think, hmm, we need to revisit that. Because if we're interested in blended learning, we've got to empower teachers to have the ability to bypass the filter. That seems small. It's not. It is gigantic. All right. Last thing. This is going to be an open-ended question. And actually, I'm going to do two things. I'm going to ask you to talk at your table about it. And then I'm going to leave the poll up for you to respond openly. An open text poll. (gasps) Am I taking a risk here? Oh, yeah. Right? Because I don't know what you're going to say. Now, let me, let me mention this. This is going to come in as a word cloud. So if you're going to say something that's a phrase, I would encourage you to put a dash or a hyphen or an underscore in. Like, I'm not saying to say professional development. But if you wanted to do professional development, do professional dash development or professional underscore development. Then it's going to come in as a single um, reply. And so it should, if this works, come in as a tag cloud. The question is, what are your biggest technology-related challenges. And now, you can take that superintendent hat off. For you, as a classroom teacher, as a library media specialist, as a district technology director, what do you see as your top challenges that you face? Okay? And I'm going to set our timer, um, give us about two minutes to talk about this at the table, and then I want you to submit some answers as well. Okay? So talk about that together, and then submit. Okay, this poll is a little bit different because you can submit it multiple times. And I really want, if you've got somebody at your table who hasn't submitted, you can submit for them on your device. I'd really like for um, for us to get as many of these here as we can. Um, one of the things we can do with blended learning is we can give our students, whether they're adult learners, things going on upstairs, or they're younger students, the chance to submit ideas in what might be called a back channel. Okay? I never have enough time to get everyone's answers. And I never have a situation where everybody feels comfortable sharing out loud or having their thought right when I'm waiting for it. Okay? What's my wait time? You know? Generally it's not long enough. So when you provide some way for students to be able to share an idea, that's using social media in the classroom. It doesn't mean we have to set up a Twitter account to broadcast to the world. We could do that. In fact, there's good reasons for that. But simply in our class, having a space where we can individually share and look at. Why? Because I want to give voice to things. Now, if you really don't want to verbally <laughs> claim your, your statement and talk about it, don't, all right? I'm not going to twist anybody's hand because part of the, the benefit of this actually is the anonymity. 
But somebody put in um, non-educators making instructional decisions. Would someone be willing to elaborate on that? I would love it if somebody would. As far as, can can you give us an example of what kind of an instructional decision a non-educator is making? Yes. Okay, so the um, tech director at the district that I work at, I'm an instructional technology coach. Um, The tech director has decided that students don't have access to YouTube at all. Teachers do, but kids don't. One of the teachers wants to use Khan Academy as re-teaching. Yes. And not because the the kids have one-to-one netbooks and they can't get on the computers to see it because they don't have its YouTube attendance. So that could... That's a specific example. So if you didn't hear that, blocking Khan Academy, which has thousands of, of videos that Sal Khan has created over the last however many, three or four years. This is Bill Gates' favorite example of technology integration. And it's, and it's a good one. I mean, I, I think everybody should know about Khan Academy. When my son, a couple years ago, I think he was in Algebra 1. Do you do least common multiple in Algebra 1? Maybe. I don't know. I didn't remember. That was the point. He said, Dad, I don't understand least common multiple. I said, I don't remember that either. But I do know this guy named Sal Khan. And I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night. So let's go online. No, seriously. What is it? We could put in something like least common multiple. And so we have a video that's going to play, maybe. Hmm. Not sure why my audio is not playing there. There's something's been going on with YouTube. Go down to your speaker, speaker thing. Yeah. Sorry, a little over. A little X sign. Oh, look at that! Speaker now, turn the volume up. Oh, so the smallest number that is both a multiple of thirty-six. Thank you so much. Do you ever have this happen in your class? <laughs> Quantitatively, what's the biggest resource we have for tech yes. help? Our class. So we need to cultivate an atmosphere where I'm not going to feel totally threatened when somebody gives me some new knowledge. Because if we limit our learning today to what's here, it's limited. But if we, you know, it's like, who's the smartest person in the room? The room. I think that's Clay Shirky. And 12. Because 36 is a multiple 12, is actually 36. All right, so we won't listen to the whole thing. But it's phenomenal to have free access to this. You can have your kids logging in, and you can be the coach. They put in your email. You can see what videos they've seen, what exercises they've done. You know, the quote from my son about least common multiple was, that wasn't how my teacher showed how to do it, but I like that way a little better. Woohoo! It was great. So... The other thing that I would say about this is there's a program that YouTube, that Google has called YouTube uh, for Schools. And we use this in UConn. And what this meant, then here we go, we'll have a fast little Google ad, one minute and 26 seconds. So it's a way for your school to have limited access for students where they're going to have access to educationally vetted material. And then... When your teachers, if you're on the light speed filter, and I, by the way, I do think they're the only company that does this. Maybe somebody else will figure this out. But when, when I, as a teacher, add a video, it becomes accessible um, to all students.
So I was just trying to, to search for a metaphor. Um, it's dangerous to do a, uh, a video, uh, an image search live, right? I'm living on the edge. Um, how many of you have been to the Library of Congress? <coughs> do you know what movie inspired my children to want to go into the Library of Congress? Nicholas Cage, what was it? Yes. National Treasure, that's right. When they were there, like, Dad, can we go there? <laughs> yes, we can. Is the book there? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think they make that public. Does the book exist? Mm, I don't know. Maybe it does. Seriously, not letting teachers and students access YouTube is like going to the Library of Congress and saying you can't read anything during school hours. Is there trash on YouTube? Of course there is. Is there amazing content on YouTube? You bet. That goes back to the Kevin Kelly quote, right, about tremendous technology. Tremendous technology can be both abused and then used for incredibly constructive and positive purposes. So, as we talk to our administrators about this, maybe that's a resource to suggest to them and, and with those questions, because uh, those are polls that you could you could give to your fellow teachers too, right? And students could do this, surveys. Let's find out what people um, are saying. Um, let's talk about access to equipment. This is a word cloud. So that means the larger the word or words are, the more time they came in. In fact, all the things that are small here, I think only got put in once. But more than one person put in access to equipment. So would somebody like to talk about that a little bit? Or, I, a couple of things I tried to put in bounce back, saying they couldn't, the keyword couldn't be found. Really? Are you talking about, uh, oh, when you did a text message? Okay, yeah, sorry. Okay, I didn't explain that well. Yes, it still goes to that same number, but you have to include the, the 89196. The reason is, Poll Everywhere is receiving tons of responses to polls. And so the first set of numbers, in this case, identifies, hey, this is Wes's poll about technology-related technology challenges, and then the next words that you include are your answers. So go ahead and try again. Would somebody elaborate on um, access to technology equipment? Yes? Just having, there's some equipment to be used, but being able to have access to it, you know, to say I need the iPads for four days or things like that. Right. It's difficult because there's not enough. Right. There's not enough to go around. Well, when you get them, they don't work properly. Right. right. And then what do you want to do next time? Not check it out. I'll just skip that. We'll stick with our paper and pencil. Um, yes? I don't, I don't want to sound rude, but if you, you're going to talk about the models behind blended learning. Some, um, so I think, the, I think when we think about access, I think when we get into a blended model, we're looking at... Yeah, it's not online learning, it's blended learning. So that might help too if you get towards blended right. learning. Then you only need five or six iPads versus the whole cart. So that might be able to take some of that equipment. And thinking out of the box too, right? Get it out further to more 
like I said, the uh, Woodland Park, Colorado teachers, Aaron Sams and the folks that started flipping, they looked at DVDs. Okay, The common denominator. If we're going to provide this for everybody, we've got to provide it for everybody. You know, how are you going to do that? Um, you, you know, if you're going to flip, a, a DVD is, is one way to look at that because probably students can have, have access to that. But I think it will be easier if we're looking at blended learning that we start to identify that we don't need as much in the sense of 25 devices. And that is spread across the hmm. Well, I think, here's a here's a nice college word, pedagogically, from a pedagogy, instructional philosophy standpoint, I don't want to be online on a device all the time. That's why I really like blended learning. There's a lot of benefit to, to expanding our classroom beyond this face-to-face time, but at the same time, everything I'm going to do isn't going to involve the screen. So, but but I but I personally do want all of my students to have that access. And I believe this. It's our responsibility as educators. BYOD, bring your own device, in some contexts, is an absolute cop-out. It's folks saying, you know what? We don't have money for that. I know we just built a $2 million football stadium, but we really don't have money for anything like technology. I know we just bought textbooks that were $7 a piece, but we really don't have money. You know, where, where are our priorities and where's our budget? We are all going one-to-one at some point. And um, blended learning is not online learning. But I think it does require us to provide equity and to provide that access. And it's not just the kids who could afford to bring you know, that device. Where are they going to have access? Is it in the library? Is it in the classroom? Do we rotate you know, what we're doing? How do Right. If we really are, if we take a rotation station model, right. then we really only need maybe five or six or so of those devices. We've been doing that in our school right now, so a class will have, we can take the cart now and divide it up more easily. And you can... And you flex things and you're creative, right? You use the resources you have, and at some point when you're one-to-one, even when you're one-to-one, I've done work in Maine where they've been one-to-one for a decade, okay? You'd think, oh, it's just a dream world there, right? It's very similar to every other school where you have teachers who don't want to use, who aren't or aren't adopting. I mean, there are fewer challenges, but it's still a lot of the issues are the same. So here's what we're going to do. Um, how many of you have used Padlet before? It used to be called Wallwisher. Anybody used this before? Okay, a few. This is free. I have created a Padlet, and I'm going to leave this up here. If you want to scan that on your, your QR code, you can. Or you can simply type padlet.com slash wall slash, you, you pronounce it Inscape. Am I saying it right? Nicegate. Nicegate. Nicegate 13. Okay. What that's going to do is that's going to jump you to a page where if you're on the iPad, you're going to simply double tap, and it will let you um, type your text. And the question is, if you're on a laptop, you can too. What did we learn about our, our learning paradigms? We did a bunch of surveys. You all responded. What did we learn about the paradigms of, of folks who are here in this room? We are going to take uh, officially um, a 10-minute break. And so um, I'm going to set the timer for 10 minutes. Uh, so please um, use the restroom, get some drinks, whatever you need to do. And in 10 minutes, um, we'll reconvene.
And I'm going to give away, um, actually, some copies of my ebook. I've got um, download cards for my ebook, so we'll we'll do that in 10 minutes. Um, or, or do you think we should do 15? You think 15 would be better? 15 would be better. Okay. All right. Let's take a break. Okay. Let's give away some uh, some ebooks. Um, have you all you use the random fruit machine picker? You all know about that. Um, you can Google random fruit machine picker, and you simply copy and paste everything that you want in there, and then it'll just roll through and select. Where's Jen? You have a free ebook. Yay! Do we have Do we have a, another 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 Jen? I decided I could have like merged the first name and last name, but I have enough. I have enough that. Um, if we have more than one person by that first name, you'll just both be winners. So I can click remove to take Jen out of the list, and we'll keep going. So Kate, where's Kate? Yay! Hey, this is this uses drop cards, which is some uh, musicians will use this. Vincy. Musicians will use drop cards. There's a link, and just like an iTunes gift card, there's a unique code on the back. So you can download this to your you know, laptop or desktop. Or if you have an iPad, you can directly download it. You just want iBooks to be downloaded first. Terry? Terry, Terry? Is Terry here? No, no. Terry, all right. Very good. Okay. I'll do one more, and then I'll do a couple as we get. You only have 30 minutes. Oh shoot! Well, I, did, I could I could have clicked remove. I forgot. Terry almost won again. Nicole. 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 Yay! All right. Thank you. You're very welcome. Okay, this is called the random fruit picker. So, if you and I always just Google it. So I type in random fruit picker, <laughs> and that comes up first out of 44,000 hits, Fruit Machine. It's on classtools.com. It is Flash-based, so you would need to use, actually, I haven't used it. Uh, do you know about the Puffin browser for iPad? It runs Flash. So uh, if you, if you, most Flash things you can play with Puffin, I, and actually, I haven't tried it, but whenever I run into that, it's called Puffin. It's an alternate browser to Safari. Yes, so in the school setting, beware. In the home setting, when your kids want to play Club Penguin, different story. Yeah. Okay, so what did we learn about our learning paradigms? Uh, if we look at our Padlet, I kind of went in here and, and cleaned a, a little bit as far as just sort of moving things around. You can set up Padlet to have um, you know different kinds of... Access settings. This lets everybody write onto it. Actually, um, can we get the lights dimmed again? There's on the right side. There was some uh, these front front lights just to dim them a little bit. Um, is it Anarchy? Anika. Anika said the folks in the room seem to be on a similar page, but I'm not sure that's the norm in districts. On the whole, when we go back home, it feels like the paradigm isn't shifting as much, and it, it absolutely isn't. Um, but that's why it's important to be catalysts for this conversation, right? To take some of these questions back, hopefully take some resources uh, and some options. Jackie says, paradigms won't shift by administrators throwing technology-based initiatives at teachers without providing time and support to implement them. Kathy says, change makes life interesting. 
Paul says, while we're all in different places, it seems like, at least in this room, we're headed west. That's right, we're pioneers. Steve says, it takes time to change old habits. Someone said, adapt or, or risk becoming irrelevant. Andy says, more flexible use of the technology while protecting the district and the superintendent. Think more creatively about access that protects rather than accesses rather than access that restricts. All right. So um, I hope you'll you'll take a look at Padlet. Um, it is um, a free tool, and it's one that I enjoy using. There are different things you can use as a back channel. The other one I'll mention, and I I like to do this too, but just didn't today. There's a great site called Today's Meet, and it is free, and it also works on tablets like the iPad, except this creates a chat room that you decide when it's deleted. It could be deleted in a week or a year or in two hours, and then you decide what the web address is. And so, again, it can be used as a way to give voice to the ideas in the room and allow folks that might not express it out loud in front of everyone or they might not say it in class, to have that opportunity. Education, learning, in school is about choices, social interaction, and individual growth. Well, I think like you, Oklahoma is a park affiliate, or, or we have been. Our state superintendent just is pulling us out, I guess, of this. But Common Core testing, there's all this going on, right? We're living in a challenging day that's also exciting, and what I want to remind us of is that we are all, as educators, about so much more than the test, right? And we need to be remembering that and reminding others around us that we're helping kids learn to make good choices. Kids with their devices at home, at school, on their own time, on your time, have opportunities to make choices today that can have big impacts on them. For those with access, information scarcity is over. Do you remember going to the library for an Ask Eric search and using microfiche? Raise your hand if you used microfiche before. No, sorry to bring back that nightmare, you know. I was doing uh, research for my dissertation in Denton, Texas at the University of North Texas, and I was having to get this dissertation off microfiche, and it was going to be 10 cents a copy to print. And I said to the guy, Really? you have any other choice? He said, oh, you can make a PDF. Oh, really? How much does that cost? Oh, that's free. Oh, I'd like to do that. Um, yes, we still have some microfish. Maybe we'll still do some searches for that. But basically, we're able to access content now. But this is the thing for those with access. And who's going to provide the access? We're going to have to in the school. Welcome to our cloud-based multiple device reality. Because we're not in a world of just one-to-one. -one. We're in a world of multiple devices. And more and more, the content and the, the interactivity can take place, so to speak, in the cloud. What does that mean? On servers that are out on the Internet, where our IT department doesn't have to provide that service. Some things may be subscription-based, but some things like Google Apps can be completely free, and our interaction can happen on multiple devices anywhere we happen to be. Education, learning, and school isn't about boxes and wires and boxes, or devices, sorry, I already said boxes. <laughs> it's about boxes, wires, and devices. However, devices do matter, and the way in which we approach the learning matters. And so how many of you have seen this Google search story about Cheryl and Morgan? Anybody seen this? 
Cheryl Oaks is a techno. She was a technology integrator. Now she's a special education teacher in Wells, Maine. Um, this video has had almost four million views on YouTube, three and a half million, I guess. And what I want you to think about as you see, as you watch this, is what is the paradigm of learning here in Wells, Maine, that you see represented in this video? That Google spent, I think, two full days on their campus to create this two-minute and twelve-second video. The way that Cheryl and teachers like Cheryl and parents like Morgan's approach technology and learning is different. It's not just about boxes and wires. It's about empowering kids and about empowering teachers. I'm not doing really good on my <laughs> my timing of this. Um, we spent quite a bit of time on our case studies, so we'll be a little bit quicker. And who knows? Maybe I won't get through these slides. That's fine if I don't. But we need to make a shift to focus on creating digital artifacts with our technology because too many of us still use the technology primarily to just research, to just look stuff up and just bring stuff in. And that's a great way to use technology. But we need to think about assessment and how students represent what they know. My first ebook in 2011 is playing, I published in 2011, is playing with media. And, it's, and my thesis is we need to use digital text, images, audio, and video to communicate today. And we need to do that in school as well as in other organizations we're a part of and make this shift. We need to focus when it comes to technology on learning strategies that work and things we want to make rather than just the boxes and the wires and, and the devices. Um, have you had parents come into your room when they're smart boards and just be in awe of the smart board? A lot of schools have smart boards now. Why? Because, in, in part, they're low-hanging fruit. We can buy them. And they also support a teacher-directed model of instruction that we're very familiar with. Now, I think interactive whiteboards can be wonderful, and you can have students up there presenting and, and interacting. But sometimes we're not focused on kids making stuff. All right? We're going to say this at the bottom together. Ready? Go. We remember what we do. That is straight from John Dewey. We need to be creating things. We need to be making things. And technology can play a role in that. It can also document that. But we need to remember good and good learning. And that doesn't just mean de delivery. Have you heard someone tell you this? If you buy... Item X, your test scores will go up. Have you heard that before? It is a lie. You can't, I mean, you and I didn't have better test scores because of the film strip projector or the 16-millimeter projector. Do you remember the opaque projector? Do you remember how hot it got? Did you ever fear setting fire to instructional materials because, oh, my gosh, that bulb is so hot? Please read Larry Cuban's 2003 book, Oversold and Underused, if you want more detail on this. He studied Silicon Valley when they were getting connected, computers, Internet. What happened? Well, we had lots of things happen, but no significant difference in student achievement simply by providing technology. You can also Google my dissertation and be the sixth person worldwide to read it because there's a lot about this <laughs> in there, too. But this is a book lots of people have read. Who's heard of Marzano's Classroom Strategies at Work? Okay. This is a great lens to use when we're talking to anyone about why we're doing what we're doing. Because these are instructional strategies that meta-analyses of, of research studies have shown improve student achievement. If we provide recognition to students, what does non-linguistic representation mean? 
Pictures, drawing pictures, whether you're teaching pre-calculus or you're teaching consumer science or whatever, getting students to represent visually ideas that we're talking about has been shown with academic research studies to improve student achievement. Time on task. We can get kids to work. I mean, you'd think this is a no-brainer, right? Duh. They work longer on their assignment. But if, if we can get kids to be engaged longer and motivated longer to work on a project, what's going to happen to their learning? They're going to learn more. So please don't fall into the trap when somebody says, why are we doing this? Of saying, it's because iPads will increase our scores. No. It's because hopefully we are going to do these kinds of strategies better with technology than we could do without them. Even just providing recognition and parent involvement, providing a window into what we're doing in class. I love this quotation from Dean Shiresky. I heard it about three weeks ago at the Mobile Learning Conference in Tucson. You'll hear people say this. It's not about the technology. It's not about the technology. Dean says, saying it's not about the technology is like telling Yo-Yo Ma it's not about the cello. It does matter, the tool that you give me and what it can do and how I can be creative. Monday, I was in Florida, out in Stewart, Florida, in Martin County Schools, and it was a great day. It was a wonderful day, but it's the first time I've ever taught a workshop for 25 teachers, hands-on all day, where they had three different devices. A third of the teachers had brand new Windows 8 tablets they just got the day before. A third of the teachers had Chromebooks, and a third had iPads. And I was told, I want a great workshop about project-based learning where we create something and everybody's inspired to make stuff with students. So we did radio shows and we used a website called Spreaker that's free and we had fun. But oh my gosh, that was so challenging. Don't tell me it's not about the device. It is. It was really hard to find something we could all do together. I do think we need an integrated approach to infrastructure and devices. And this is a, I love this model. This is from Lightspeed. And what they have is a mobile device manager that works with their content filter, that works with their learning management system, which is called My Big Campus. And I've already mentioned this before, and it was volunteered too, that when I put as a teacher a YouTube video into the learning management system, My Big Campus, what happens? It's available for all the kids on the content filter. And when we need to push out apps or we need to monitor things. We're able to do that and it's integrated. So be aware of that and as your district moves towards mobile learning, which we all are doing, just at different paces, look for this. I think you'll be hard pressed to find this somewhere else. This is the only company I've seen who's doing this now. What I'd like to do is share with you about a six minute video that Lightspeed actually created in my district, in Yukon, last year. They came out in the spring. They sent a, a, a videographer out and as you watch this video, what I want you to look for, and I'm going to give you a few minutes to talk about it, is what seems to be different when it comes to blended learning in Yukon, Oklahoma. It's kind of wild to spend like two days with folks taking video and then it all comes down to, you know, five minutes. That was it. Um, I didn't make it into the video, but that's okay. Um, I didn't need to. 
um, some of those kids that were uh, doing audio interviews with each other and using their iPads were um, part of an after-school club that I helped sponsor, which is a journalism club for kids to learn how to use digital text, audio, and then video to be able to tell the stories of our school and be able to share those. So we won't do a turn, pair, and share. We'll just ask for a couple of folks to, to talk. What, what do you think stood out there in the video? What was different, um, what seemed to be unique, or, or going for UConn there? Well, as a librarian, I thrilled that the library and the librarian were the center. They were. The media specialists, the librarians, in a shifting role, a changing role, from simply the caretaker of the books to the facilitators of blended learning with projects that, yes, use the regular you know, printed texts, but also the technology was gigantic. It really connects with, with the movement in school libraries, turning them into what, you know, what are called learning commons, which is where it's not just about the books, where there yes. are multiple um, spaces that are usable for a variety of reasons. Yes. The learning commons, if you didn't hear that. And so it's a space where students go, teachers go, and the librarian serves in that critical facilitator role, helping teachers, helping students, and working towards products, things that we create, not just stuff we get, but things we create to show what we know. Some, anything else stand out as a something unique or different? There were a lot of... of teammates, right, that were a part of this. It wasn't just one person. And let me tell you, this is hard. I mean, I can't even speak today about all the politics involved in, you know, small town America. It's incredible. But amidst that, there's also tremendously positive stories of collaboration, working to get team, to get stakeholders and to, to try to shift a paradigm, which is really hard to change, really hard. Okay. We saw the polished of it's already working. Where did it start? And who actually said, okay, we need to combine our resources and we need to get everybody to the table. Getting people to the table is not easy. Right. It started with the superintendent saying, I want to hire an academic officer that will be over both curriculum and technology. And so Don Danker Pierce, who you saw, and Bill Denton, um, you know, when Don came in, <laughs> and there's a lot of politics to that, right? When suddenly IT is not all by itself in a silo, but they're actually on the org chart underneath curriculum. That's the catalyst. And then it was even reorganizing offices and space and the tech directors right next to Dawn, who's right across from the curriculum um, director. Eventually she moved to another office, but that, that was it. That was it. Um, you know, there's not a silver bullet for anything. It doesn't matter what. Uh, actually, let me take that back. My quote is, the silver bullet is a great teacher. Okay, well, that's what we need. Is school reform, what do we need? Great teachers and, and great leaders. People who have vision, who can collaborate, who can work together, and who are going to continue to move forward. IT being in the service of curriculum and learning is a piece of this. The partnership, you know, with Jason, the IT director, along with, with um, Dawn and with Kathy and, and Adam and, and the whole team was a big key. 
Um, this isn't in the video, but I'd like to think this is a part of it too, is using social media to tell our stories. We set up a website called our Learning Showcase. You can find it on showcase.yukonps.com. What did we do? We amplified great examples of learning here. Does sport, do sports get much press here in New York? Yeah, we do just a little bit of that in Oklahoma. Just a little bit. But we need to do that with learning and amplifying that. And so that was a, a piece. And then this robust infrastructure. This is huge. One of our metro area districts just bought in the last year Apple TVs for every single high school teacher. But they did not do the research about their bandwidth. And so when they put those in, brought their whole network to a standstill. And people were bad mathing Apple. Was it their fault? It was the bandwidth. And so now, I just talked to somebody this week, they boosted their bandwidth, increased their connectivity, and it's, and it's good. But that is huge. If you aren't doing the homework and, and the investment in the network, and you're putting devices in people's hands that are going to expect to be online, don't ignore that. That's gigantic. It's a huge piece of the puzzle. One of the things I've realized really acutely in the last two years is that when adults look at a device... We look at an iPad or, you know, some kind of a, of a tablet. We tend to see an arcade. We tend to see something that kids can be on individually and they might lose their social skills. But that's, that's kind of what we sometimes think of. You know, go to the lab, just plug in. Can we use computer labs and devices that way? Sure. But we need to follow in the footsteps of Seymour Papert, who's really the father of educational technology. Uh, a book is wonderful to read that he wrote. It's called The Children's Machine. And he encourages us to look at, at technology, devices of any flavor, as imagination machines. I love the metaphor of a bridge, a bridge to creativity, letting your students create and demonstrate what they know by interactive writing with narrated art, radio shows, five photo stories, visual notes, narrated slideshows. Those are six of the, of the 12 products in a, a framework that I've been working on for a couple years. We need to shift to a show what you know. Instead of come here and listen to me and take the test, show me what you know and use technology to show that. These devices need to be in students' hands not just so they can do apps and play games and, you know, get content and watch Khan Academy, but so students can create, so they can communicate, so they can tell stories, so they can document what's happening in our classroom and outside. There are great things happening in your school every single day and every single week. And students can play a role in documenting that. And that's a great way to look at apps. So... This is the framework for Mapping Media. When you simply Google Mapping Media, this is the site that will come up first in Google. And who knows what a litmus test is? What does a litmus test do? It's a chemistry thing. Acid or base, right? Okay, and you kind of get to say what it is. So think about this as a litmus test for digital devices. Can I create these things? I think teachers and students should be able to create and actually creating all of these things. Ebooks, a quick edit video, a digital story, a simulation or a game. These things at the bottom take longer than the things up here. But these are all things you can create. And you can click on any of these and see student examples, tools that you can use, not just for the iPad, but for other things too. And, um, and eventually, I hope to have it done this summer, but I didn't get it done. But I'm going to be adding digital badging to these. 
with three levels. Bronze is, as a teacher, you create a personal quick edit video. Silver badge is you uh, facilitate a student project and share the link. And the gold is you help another teacher do it. Okay? Because there's a lot of stuff here. How are we going to learn this? Well, let's start. Let's start at the beginning. Let's 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 create something together. So um, I have five minutes, and I've done my first two things. But that's okay. I've have fewer slides. Here. Um, sharing interactivity and footprints. Digital sharing, which this is not digital sharing, picture of. In fact, this probably isn't, this may or may not be volunteer sharing. But, I mean, sharing is the best part of the Internet. Unfortunately, fear is gigantic. Even though we have Pinterest and many teachers are on Facebook, there is so much fear. Dean says we shouldn't feel guilty for sharing too much. We should feel guilty for not sharing anything. And we need to change this as a norm. This is just a screenshot of my Google Docs. And you can't read this really well. But basically my wife, um, I've just she shares her, her lesson plans with me. And that's one of the things she learned to do this year was how to make her lesson plans in Google Docs and link things to them. Like videos on YouTube that she shows her kids. That should be normal. That's how we do our lessons. We do them digitally and we share them. We're not going to watch David Wiley, but this is a great TEDx talk that he gave. Actually, in New York, anybody watch this? It's called Open Education and the Future. He is in Utah and does a lot of work with open educational resources. Is Algebra 1 that much different here in New York than it is in Utah or Oklahoma, you think? No, not that different. So the more we can share and collaborate on those resources, the better that's going to be for our kids and the better that's going to be for us. Dean, who I've mentioned several times, is a Canadian educator. He's in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. And he did the keynote a couple years ago for this free K-12 online conference. And that video is called Sharing the Moral Imperative. It's one of the best teacher-produced videos I've ever seen. And I agree with Dean 100%. We need to share digitally. This conference happens again this month. October 14th is the pre-conference keynote. It's entirely free. It's all online. There are over 40 presentations shared over two weeks. And uh, I know that at your conference, isn't uh, Sylvia Martinez and Gary Steger, they're coming, aren't they? We're doing two workshops with Debbie and mentoring workshops in New York City and Long Island. Okay. They're awesome. In fact, I'm going to recommend their book. It's one of the books to read. And they're doing one of our keynotes. What are these keynotes? Videos and they're 20 minutes or less available on YouTube for free. Kids are eager to share. Why aren't we? It's a good question. And there's different reasons for that. But we need to be sharing and we need to celebrate teachers in our school and in our community who are sharing. The third thing here is digital footprints. A lot of us are not taking charge of our digital footprint online. We're looking stuff up, but we're not publishing stuff. And we need to be having lots of conversations with kids about digital citizenship. I like this acronym, THINK. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? Before you share. We need to use platforms that let us moderate web publishing. Tools like My Big Campus are great, but they're password protected. We need to have spaces where we can share student work and share what's happening in our school. So that's interactive writing. And I like the metaphor of glue. You need some glue that's going to hold together the stuff your kids create as a digital portfolio. Your kids make a radio show. Your kids make a puppet video. Your kids make a narrated slideshow. Where does it go? 
Well, you need a site, a place where they link it and they post it. And that's what interactive writing can be. How do you take charge of the footprints you leave online and your kids do? You've got to publish stuff. So if you Google my name, thankfully, the first things you're going to see are sites that I've built and created. Why is that? Well, it's openly published and it has my name on it. And your kids may or may not. That's okay. We'll find the meat button. Um, something from your website. <laughs> I love that. If we go up here. There we go. You did this. <laughs> um, you know, kids don't have to publish under their name at all. They can use an alias. Some schools will use a number. I mean, we used first, first name, last initial, except for the kids whose parents didn't have permission. My wife's school calls those the red shirts. And those kids don't have their pictures and don't have their work online. That's okay. And there's reasons for that. There's really good reasons for that. But for the kids who've given permission their parents have, they're publishing some of their work. And at some point, they could make a digital portfolio of their work. The leaders in our school need to provide and authorize digital sandboxes where we share online, where we share openly. There's a lot of ways to do this. You can do this with My Big Campus. You can do this with Google Drive. I'm a big fan of KidBlog, WordPress, Edmodo. Those are all different tools for publishing. So we're going to do our book recommendations, and then we're, I think we're going to eat. Who's read this book? Sylvia Martinez and Gary Steger. Anybody read this yet? I am reading this now. In fact, I'm sharing with you my current reading list. I'm reading two of these simultaneously. Well, and I guess I did. I wrote one of them, so that one doesn't really count. But there's two that, I, that are, I'm going to read next, all right? So, Invent to Learn, Making, Tinkering, and Engineering in the Classroom. Has anybody been to a maker's fair? Ooh, I got to go to my first one in Tulsa last week. And what's a maker's fair? What, what would you say it is? Um. And build it and make it. You know, my daughter who's 10, had I didn't know that she's never sewn before. Well, she sewed a little felt bracelet at one of the booths because that was what this particular person was in, was making. There were robots that folks were making and programming. Some of it was technology, some of it wasn't. But it was all about making and building and tinkering. So their book is great. They're one of the um, keynote teams for K-12 Online. I'm so looking forward to their presentation. Uh, second one, Reign of Error by Diane Ravitch. Does anybody follow Diane online? Our former secretary, uh, former, what was it? She assistant secretary? Assistant secretary. Education. Okay. This is her new book, The Hopes of the Privatization Movement and the Danger to America's Public Schools. Uh, we need to be savvy to what's going on, and I'm thankful that Diane is helping to document this. Um, we need to read that. Um, next one, Finish Lessons by Pazzy Salberg. Oh, I didn't capitalize his last name. Isn't that terrible? Um, has anybody read this? What have you heard about Finland? They're awesome. We've heard that, right? But we've also heard they're not diverse. They don't have the population we have. We can't apply their models. Well, guess what? Solberg helped construct a constituency over 30 years ago that wasn't focused on a political party, and it wasn't focused on a personality. And it said, we are going to make a commitment to public education and a high-quality education that's going to be sustained no matter who's in power. And we need that. And I think we need to read this book because he tells his story in that book. OK? 
Okay, fourth one, teach like a pirate. Who's read this? All right. Especially for classroom teachers, but for anyone, this is a book about being willing to step out, engage kids, and teach differently. And no, I'm not just saying teach with a Mac. That's not what he's saying. <laughs> but that's actually a great thing to do. Okay? But it is about engagement. It is about using media. It is about connecting with kids. It is fantastic. And I am in the midst of reading this. And my last one I'll recommend is mine. <laughs> um, I've been working on this for the last couple of years. The framework is openly available on the web. Um, the ebook is um, fifteen dollars. The um, print is like twenty. Um, but it's going through these products that students can create. That students can create. And yes, it's Common Core aligned. So uh, let me give away a couple more copies, and then we'll do the closing thoughts. Do we have any other Steve's? Just one Steve? Well, this is a good table. <laughs> lucky, lucky table there. Oh, you did Yeah, I should have clicked remove. Brian! And there is, you can get either the Kindle version or the EPUB version, which will work on anyone else's. Mary! Any Marys? We have two Marys? Yes, and you're a Mary too? Yay! Okay, can you pass those to Marys? To Mary and Mary? Okay. Is it going to make it back that way? Okay. All right. Last thoughts. Your vision is critical. How many of us wear glasses? How many of us would be hampered without them or contacts? All right. So when you put those glasses on, you can see the world more clearly. The vision we have for learning and for teaching is really important because it shapes not only what we see, but what we do. And it can also shape what others around us can see because we might see things that other people don't see. Please beware of corporate edgy reformers. We have companies, we have individuals today that may or may not have public education and the interests of children at heart when they talk about blended learning. New York Times, September 12th, no child left untableted. The tablets paid for in part by a $30 million grant from the Federal Department of Education's Race to the Top program were created and sold by a company called Amplify, a New York-based division of Rupert Murdoch's News Corporation. Da-da-da-da-da. So, when people say blended learning, they may not be talking about the same blended learning West Friar's talking about. They may have a very different agenda of corporatization, of high-stakes testing, of privatizing schools and convincing America that all our schools are failing and all our teachers are to blame. And that is a lie. And we need to be aware of it. And we need to be careful. We need to be careful not to just see digital learning and think, yes, that's the Mardi Gras float I'm on because I guarantee you I am not on the same page as these organizations and individuals. What we need at the end of the day are teachers and students who are learners, who are willing to continue to grow, to continue to explore, to continue to try new things. So my encouragement to you today is to, yes, read, yes, connect, but also publish and share. And as we do that, we're going to do what's right for our kids and our communities. Thank you very much. 
You're listening to Fuel for Educational Change Agents, an audio podcast channel including a variety of audio recordings by and recorded by Wesley Fryer, published for educators worldwide interested in free audio-based professional development. This is a supplementary podcast channel complementing Moving at the Speed of Creativity podcast, which typically includes longer and lightly edited or unedited audio recordings. Learn more and access these podcasts on audio.speedofcreativity.org. All content on this podcast is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 United States license.